Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. Sponsored by the Chicago Wolves, defending Calder Cup champs. They kicked off a four-game road trip in Iowa last night. They're going to play Iowa again tonight. Then they'll travel to Texas for games next weekend. The Wolves have played well on the road. They entered this trip with a 4-2-0 mark. Final moments here of the Hockey Show. Thanks to our producer, Kendra Smith. It's always great to talk to Eddie Olchek. Uh, yeah, he's always going to have a place in, in our hockey hearts, right? Yeah, the best. And, you know, that was one of the interviews that I did a long time ago that I was the most nervous for, and we actually did it at his house. And he, so we invited up there. I'm like, I'm so nervous. I've never met him before, all this and that. And he opens the door, and he's just sitting there in, like, his underwear watching TVG. I'm like, oh, he's a guy just like me, just sitting around <laughs> betting horses. Nobody was home. He was, And he's a gracious host and a good guy. And I genuinely, even though I don't know him, I miss him. I yeah. miss him, uh, you know, and it's nothing against anybody else who's in those spots now, but there was just something about he's a Chicago guy, he's our guy. It's like all of my best memories as a sports fan, he was a part of it. Well, thank goodness he's still doing TNT and you get to hear him, yes. uh, you know, once a week at least. So uh, great to have Eddie Olchek on the show. What's going to happen here on this Rangers, Islanders, Devils road trip? They get uh, how many points? Yeah, I was hoping we would just say, and stop it right there, and we'll cut the show. We, want, right we all have to talk about how, what they're going to do out there. I think it's going to be rough. I think, I think everybody, if you're a hockey fan, you have to tune in for that New Jersey game because they are the most entertaining team. I don't know if they're the best team, but they are the most entertaining team in the league right now. So so tune in for that and maybe see some young guys that might be uh, we could trade. One of those guys for. You can watch Rangers and the Blackhawks tonight. We'll have the pregame show at 6 o'clock and the Islanders uh, 6 o'clock pregame show tomorrow. That's going to do it for the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. For Barstool Chief, I'm Pat Boyle. We'll catch you next This is White Sox Weekly. Your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly, December 3rd, 2022. The hot stove is finally on and moving. We are waiting for official word from the White Sox on their first move of free agency. We'll talk a bit about Mike Clevenger and what he means to the White Sox rotation. We did last week as well. Got some trades going on elsewhere in baseball. A gigantic free agent signing by the Texas Rangers, of all people. The White Sox coaching staff has been finalized, so we'll talk through some of the new faces and responsibilities that they'll have. But the biggest franchise news over the last week or so, unfortunately, is bittersweet at best. Jose Abreu has signed a three-year deal with the Houston Astros. One of the White Sox best, greatest, most fun to watch, important, best leaders in the last couple of decades, he's certainly in those ranks, is moving on to the world champion Houston Astros. It, it happened just a few days ago, uh, shortly after the reports of Mike Clevenger signing with the White Sox. Something like 24 hours after that, we had reports all over the place of Jose Abreu finalizing his deal 
with the Houston Astros. It's something that we've talked about for a while now here on White Sox Weekly and that White Sox fans have been talking about for a long time as well. Abreu played all last season under the auspices of knowing that this was the the final year on the contract that you know the, the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, has an immense amount of respect for Jose Abreu in, in a whole lot of different areas and different facets. And in fact, we'll read the statement that Jerry Reinsdorf put out shortly after White Sox first baseman, former White Sox first baseman Jose Abreu signed with the Astros. Uh, and I want to talk about what this means for the ball club, for the franchise, for White Sox fans going forward. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on the show. This one is is yours as much as it is anyone else's. How do you feel, Sox fans, about knowing that Jose Abreu is going to be elsewhere in 2023? It will certainly be an odd start to the season. The White Sox and Astros open up. The 2023 season, that is the first game. You know, the World Series champs open it up at night. The White Sox will be there in Houston. Jose Abreu will be wearing a very oddly colored jersey. At least it's going to look weird, that's for sure. Uh, But he'll be on the other side as the White Sox are in Houston to face the Astros on what will be banner night, on on opening night. Um, It's going to feel different. I, I think over the last couple of months, for sure, the, the talk, the chatter, the conversation around White Sox fans and, and around the front office and, you know, kind of outwardly facing when you've got Rick Hahn, general manager, saying things, uh, you know, about like he did about uh, Andrew Vaughn, um, who is now going to be the first baseman for the White Sox, logic would tell you, uh, that, that things were probably moving in the direction that they did. Jose Abreu in his press conference being introduced as a new member of the Houston Astros said – through, the, uh, through translators, interpreters, that there was an offer, but not a formal offer. Um, translations have kind of varied on that as well, but it does sound like Abreu said there was an offer, but not a formal offer. Abreu's three-year $58 million deal with the Astros is more than the three-year $50 million deal that he just completed with the White Sox. So his value remained very high despite a season that was good, 4.2 wins above replacement, but not necessarily a Jose Abreu season. Like the rest of the White Sox offense, Abreu did not hit for a lot of power in 2022, just 15 home runs, his lowest single season, full single season total. Um, Obviously, 2020 was a little bit different. And... You know, this is this is a guy who at 35, 36, 37, 38, you know, the, the next years on his contract uh, is a right-handed first baseman, first base DA that can't slide around the defensive spectrum at much, if at all. You know, he's always been kind of a first base guy. Sox fans know that. So I, I think the three years 58 was a little bit of a surprise. What wasn't a surprise are some of the reports that have kind of come around, whether the White Sox made a formal offer or, or didn't, and it certainly sounds like uh, it wasn't essentially a formal offer. Abreu was reportedly targeted by the Cleveland Guardians, by the Boston Red Sox, by the San Diego Padres, and the Miami Marlins. So that's a little bit of a different feel to things, right? I, I think there were a number of different teams, the Padres and Cleveland, uh, as well as the Astros, that seemed like good fits. For the White Sox, great. Uh, it, it felt like it might be a smaller marketplace. And instead, we're kind of hearing that it's it's far from it. Abreu ranks third in home runs in White Sox franchise history. Only Frank Thomas and Paul Canerco have hit more. 13th 
in on-base percentage or in batting average, I should say, fifth in total RBIs. He was the highest. Jose Abreu has the highest OPS, that's on-base and slugging, of any White Sox first baseman that includes Thomas and Canerco. Obviously, you know, different stats kind of prop up other guys. And what I thought was really interesting, or, or at least I don't know, kind of a fun fact about the White Sox, uh, about Jose Abreu now signing with the Astros, is that former White Sox great Hall of Famer Frank Thomas shares a birthday with Jeff Bagwell. And the two of them have super similar scores when you go to similarity scores on baseballreference.com bagwell now that the uh, the uh, the astros have moved on from their general manager james click is is kind of spearheading free agent recruitment so bagwell who is essentially as closely tied performance wise to frank thomas as a person can be you know being the exact same age and having a lot of similar stats is the guy who kind of goes out there and grabs the next in line or, or, or a man in that lineage, Jose Abreu from Thomas to Canerco to Abreu for the White Sox. So I, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of solace that Sox fans can take, to be honest. I mean, whenever a franchise moves on from an all-timer like Abreu, you are allowed to have a sad day. Rick Hahn in a press conference kind of said as much. There was a, you know, a half day of, of, I don't know that he used the word grieving, but, but I, I think I will. I, certainly – you know, a rough feel about having to say goodbye. Jerry Reinsdorf, as I mentioned, issued a statement shortly after Abreu made it official with the Astros. And it reads uh, as follows. While we ended up in different places in the business side of the game, Jose and I always share the same love of baseball. I want to thank him for always representing the values of the White Sox organization and the great city of Chicago, strength, hard work, pride, and tenacity. His legacy is written in the White Sox record books forever. I mean, it's, it's well-written. It's well-said. Um, I, I do think that Jose Abreu's number 79 will may well end up as, as a retired number for the White Sox. You know, nobody's really worn it before, and Abreu was kind of, you know, taking a number off the wall or anything like that, but... This is this is a guy who truly exemplified the organization over the last decade. Um, I, I think of some of the the highlights that Jose Abreu put together over his last you know ten years playing with the White Sox or so. It, it, obviously, there's the home runs, there's the dominance against the Cubs. There's um, the collision with Hunter Dozier out in front of home plate as he's coming in on a pop-up hit by Dozier and then scoring the winning run against the Royals back in 2021. The 2020 MVP award, of course. I mean, heck, even little things, though, for Abreu kind of stood out. At least they did to me. Um, and one of them that I wanted to kind of mention was during Carlos Rodon's no-hitter in April against the Guardians in 2021, there was uh, the, the one really good play. You know, obviously in every no-hitter, there's there's a couple of really great defensive plays that get made and kind of turn this, this crazy thing into actual reality. And on one end, Tim Anderson made a made a wild one behind second base, ranging from, from short behind second, made a great throw or, or made a great play. The throw was a little offline, and Abreu makes a dynamic stretch to make the scoop, convert the out, and keep the no-hitter alive. So... You know, just in things like that, while Abreu was kind of the front-facing, you know, hardest-hitting, home-run source kind of guy, he also was a guy that that took very seriously some of the other asks that that got made of him by by his managers, whether it was Ricky Renteria kind of saying out loud, you need to be better at first base. You know, you can do this. You can keep hitting the way you're hitting. 
Um, but you're going to be a DH if you don't get better with the glove. And Abreu took that as personal as you can. It's almost like the Michael Jordan. And I took that personally. And he did. And he got to work and made himself uh, a more than more than passable first baseman uh, with seasons of, of real good stuff over there at first. While the range was never uh, incredible, he was a good glove guy. He got much better at scoops uh, and could certainly throw the ball over the diamond, which is something that I think goes uh, a little underrated when we talk about first base defense. Some symmetry in Jose Abreu's White Sox career, his first home run in the major leagues for the White Sox was against Chad Bettis, then a Colorado Rocky, April 8, 2014. His last home run as a White Sox was against the Rockies at home, September 13th. Justin Lawrence was the kid that gave it up there. So the, the White Sox are moving on in a very real and, and difficult way. And I don't just mean difficult from a, you know, from a sentimental standpoint, although, of course, it is that. Um, and when the Astros come to guarantee Brayfield. field, I expect that the standing ovation, that the pause in play for Jose Abreu is going to be a while. You know, we got the pitch clock coming in next season, but I think they're going to have to hit pause on the pitch clock for as many White Sox fans as will be there and as many as want to give him as, as good a hand as you possibly can because that's, that's the kind of thing he deserved. That's the way he played. Um, and, I, and I do think that, that while the White Sox are moving on, the impetus now gets placed in a couple of very specific places, not only Andrew Vaughn, you know, taking over first base and being that next guy, high draft pick as he was with a with the kind of uh, pedigree that he does have, but also uh, you, you you can't just replace Jose Abreu with one guy. You know, it's it's something that gets said in in Moneyball, uh, both in the movie and in the book. You replace a player in the aggregate and in a real way and in kind of a kind of a metaphorical way, the White Sox are going to have to replace Jose Abreu, everything that he did, not just production, uh, but but behind the scenes and in the clubhouse in kind of an aggregate way. And there's belief that they have what it takes to do that. We'll talk about what that's going to look like when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Sox fans, how do you feel about the team moving on from Jose Abreu? Also, should let you know that 2023 ticket plans are available now. We offer a variety of plans. When you lock in today, you'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Back with more in just a bit here on ESPN 1000. White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. You can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox Visit WhiteSox.com slash Insider today. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Kendra Smith is our producer, and you can join the show. 312-332-3776. Obviously, the the biggest news uh, around the White Sox orbit this last week was Jose Abreu signing with the Houston Astros. A new era is upcoming for the White Sox in 2023. And, you know, like I said in the open of the show, I think we all kind of saw this coming, but having it be reality is a little bit different. 
the White Sox in 2023, as it stands right now, um, will largely be the same team that they were in 2022, but without Jose Abreu. So how do you move on? Um, exactly how are the White Sox going to get better this offseason? Well, shoot, I mean, that's the question we've been asking ourselves over the last two months or so with a free agent signing of Michael Clevenger, apparently on the uh, in the come, right, but not done yet. White Sox haven't announced that, but we had enough to talk about it with Jesse Rogers last week. Still be interested to see what the uh, what the dollar amount is on that particular contract. I mean, I'm a big fan of you know players getting paid, and good Lord, Jacob deGrom did that earlier it was just today or, or late last night the, that that deal got set up uh with the texas rangers five years 185 for jacob Degrom. more on that a bit later but when we talked to jesse rogers last week he was kind of you know pointing out this season like like a lot of off seasons you do need some of the bigger dominoes to fall before some of the other pieces start to uh get made official right i mean this is the off season of the shortstop xander bogarts and uh trey turner and carlos correa all looking at free agent deals danzy swanson you know big four shortstops all looking at free agency a couple of big name starters and Degrom and verlander of course clayton kershaw probably going back to the dodgers and everything but that's you know the big name starters are out there you know the white Sox struck it seems fairly early to go get Clevenger to start rounding out that starting rotation. But the offense, the number, the the production, the numbers, the home runs, these are the things that led to the White Sox falling short in 2022 and are still looking for reinforcements in 2023. Second half of the show, we're going to talk about the coaching staff. That got announced this last week as well. Um, And there are a lot of new names, new faces, uh, a lot of experience being injected into the the hitting infrastructure. You know, we talk about the pitching infrastructure all the time with Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler and down the line we go. Um, but there are a lot of new coaches on the hitting side of things as well. And I think that, um, as much as anything else, will will kind of underline the ideas the White Sox seem to be kind of targeting to boost that offense, to get back to the power numbers that a lot of people thought they'd be able to achieve, that they'd be able to put up in 2022 and did not. Now, how do you go on from Jose Abreu? I, I mentioned earlier that this is going to be a thing that's going to take more than one guy to achieve. Um, first and foremost, you know, you, you look at Andrew Vaughn, right? Uh, the guy's going to be in his third year of big league baseball. And I think one thing that Rick Hahn has kind of mentioned, whether it be obliquely or, or in a couple of cases, uh, pretty upfront is that Andrew Vaughn moving to first base and out of the outfield where he was, uh, one of the worst corner outfielders in baseball over the last two years, uh, given the, uh, outs above, uh, outs above average, a lot of the defensive tracking and, and metrics and numbers, that's going to be a big help, not just to Vaughn, but also to the rest of the White Sox, defensively, specifically. Now, the White Sox need more outfielders, and that's a big area that they're going to have to address over the next couple of months. Um, but getting major league outfielders in that know where, you know, know how to play that position, they've got the ability to go do that, is going to be a huge thing for them. I credit Vaughn, I really do, for putting in the work to try and be as, as good an outfielder as he could be when that ask got made of him after Aloy Jimenez got hurt in spring training two years ago. But he is a first baseman, and the return to that position will hopefully keep him, at the very least, 
uh, close to 100% or, or much healthier throughout the year. He talked over the last two years, um, and others had as well, about you know it's kind of sore legs and, and not really being able to finish out the season um, as healthy as he was. You, you take a look at his numbers up through August of each of the last two years, and there is a big drop-off after you get through August or so. Now, last season, he was hitting a hand kind of late in the year, and that does skew things just a little bit. He had a real tough time uh, for a couple of weeks keeping just, you know, kind of keeping the hand on the bat after he got hit. So uh, that does obviously skew kind of the production, and it's it's really hard to hit without your hands. Uh, almost impossible, you might say. But Andrew Vaughn, having been drafted third overall, being uh, being regarded as the best advanced bat in that particular draft, still has, I think, a whole lot of upside. Getting to that Jose Abreu level in his third major league season, his first full season at first base, that may still be a lot to ask. And that's more because of what Abreu has been able to put up over the last decade in base in major league baseball to say nothing of his Cuban stats uh, and production, but that's, that's going to be on Andrew Vaughn. And I think too, just like we've been talking about for the last couple of months, whether it was going to be a Brayu coming back to this team or not, you need to get the most. If you're the white Sox out of Aloy Jimenez, you need to get the most out of Luis Robert. You need to get the most out of Tim Anderson for a full season those are three guys in particular who must produce the way they did at points last season, each of them having high watermarks, each of them having you know moments you know for Tim up until the injury, uh, being named an all-star starter. Uh, for Luis Robert, there were times where you know things were going well up until you know just about the what would you call it the beginning of July uh, and Aloy Jimenez after coming back, was really good. He was the Aloy Jimenez that, that everyone wanted to see. Those three guys got to be those guys. You need to see bounce backs from Yohan Moncada and Yasmani Grandal, of course, and you can spread those kind of things throughout the diamond. But I, I kind of think the focus of 23 right now, offensively, are, are the three guys I mentioned off the top. Now, where can the White Sox improve from here? You know, that's kind of that next big question. There's players we're going to talk about, free agents that we're going to chat a little bit about. There is a big-time outfielder who, according to reports, just requested a trade this afternoon. We'll tell you who that is. We also, coming up, want to talk a bit about the new coaching staff for the White Sox. The bench coach, the hitting coach, the assistant hitting coach, the major league field coordinator for the very first time in franchise history. A lot of new names that are going to bring hopefully some new ideas and unlock some of the potential that rests in the White Sox. That's the next topic of conversation coming up next here on White Sox Weekly. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Sox fans, if you're planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, well, we got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, 
Visit whitesocks.com slash groups. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. White Sox announced their coaching staff this last week. Pedro Grafal has made his hires, his selections. Um, and a couple of things of note before we go through some of the names and some of the resumes here. Some names you're going to know, some names you aren't. Pedro Grafal knows them all. There are a lot of connections, uh, personal connections, kind of long-term relationships that some of these coaches have with Grafal, some of them going back to like high school, which I think is super cool. Uh, and each of these guys has kind of risen through the ranks and gets uh, a lot of plaudits from a lot of different places. So I, I think this coaching staff has rounded out to be uh, what looks to be a good one. Um, some internal hires, uh, Daryl Boston is back as first base coach. That's the most familiar name, I think, to White Sox fans. We, we knew Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler, the pitching coach and bullpen coach, respectively, would be back. Um, that was kind of set as Pedro Grafal, or even before Pedro Grafal was, was introduced to reporters. The pe- the bench coach is Charlie Montoyo. Montoyo was the manager of the Blue Jays from 2019 to 2022. Long-time guy with the Tampa Bay Rays. A lot of seasons there. Uh, as the bench coach for a little while, knows what he's doing. 22 years in that Rays organization. And if memory serves, he was the, the first minor league manager in Rays history, named the the first minor league grand manager in Rays history. So that's kind of cool. A lot of time in that system. Now, the hitting coach for the White Sox is Jose Castro, replacing Frank Manichino. He retired as a player in 1990, 24 seasons. Uh, He's 64. He's been around a little bit. Most recently, an assistant hitting coach with the Atlanta Braves. And if you're thinking, okay, are there some similarities between the White Sox and the Braves? Yeah, there, there kind of are. And I, I think it's interesting. There, there are, in that Braves organization, a lot of homegrown players who, got, who have gotten uh, fairly early extensions. You know, a lot of them happening just over the last, like, two seasons. Ronald Acuna got his money. Ozzy Albies got his money. Uh, got Michael Harris got his money. I mean, there's just a lot of players that have been, you know, kind of brought up through that organization and held on to by the Atlanta Braves kind of following the White Sox blueprint of, of having signed guys like Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Tim Anderson, and so forth and so on down the line. So Castro knows what it is to continue pushing young players who have come up through the same system into the major leagues and, and kind of getting that best performance out of those players. I, I think there, there might just be, I'm, I'm just kind of speculating a little bit, but I, I wonder if there isn't kind of a, you know, guy comes up in the same organization, spends a couple of years, gets gets made, right? I mean, this is it's the opposite of, of Pesci and Goodfellas. He's he's at, he he walks through the door and there is no Marlin on the wall. He actually gets made. He gets the contract, but then you you have to keep pushing that player, whether that's to adapt to what pitchers are doing to him, or or you know, in some cases, just keep on saying, you know, listen, the, the carrot is out there. Um, some guys need that every now and again. And I, I wonder if, if Jose Castro, the new hitting coach for the White Sox, hasn't faced something like that with a player at a time. Not that that's going to be like the overriding personality of any one player. I tend to think that to get to the big leagues in the first place, you, you've got to have some sort of you know insane competitive drive in you. It's just it's that difficult to get to the bigs. You got to be that talented. You got to be that driven. Um, but every now and again, guys need a little bit of a poke. Castro could have in his you know, 22, 24 years of coaching experience, uh, have that 
club in the bag, so to speak. The assistant hitting coach is Chris Johnson. He's been the AAA hitting coach for the Charlotte Knights in the White Sox organization for the last two years. Uh, the White Sox, as as a as a Triple A team last year, did not produce the way they did the year before. But even still, and over the last two years at Charlotte, the Knights were fifth in the International League in home runs, sixth in slugging percentage, and seventh in batting average. So, you know, in a lot of measures, a top ten offense. Uh, Johnson's thirty eight years old. Uh, played with Houston, Arizona, Atlanta, Cleveland, Miami. Third baseman, you know, kind of a corner guy. If you remember Chris Johnson. I think you probably took him in a fantasy draft or two. He had a couple of years where he was really cooking. Uh, more coaching changes for the White Sox. Replacing Joe McEwing at third base is Eddie Rodriguez. He's 63 and is one of the um, one of the coaches coming over from Kansas City. The Pedro Grafal is pretty well connected to. Another one is Mike Tozar, 54 years old, uh, longtime friend of Pedro Grafal. He was in the Royals system, and he. Pedro Grafal. Both get a lot of credit from the players themselves, Jorge Soler and uh, and Salvador Perez, for kind of reshaping and pushing both of those players in particular into some big-time power production over the last couple of years. And that, as, as much as anything else, kind of seems to be the calling card for some of these hires, some of the uh, some of the resumes for Tosar, for Castro, for Chris Johnson, right? Tapping back into that power that the White Sox showed in 2021, showed in 2020, and have, you know, by and large, in the scouting reports, in in the minor league pedigrees, and all this other kind of stuff, right? I mean, if you just, if you looked at Luis Robert and kind of said, okay, we, he, he hit 25 home runs in the bigs. Yeah, absolutely. But Yohan Moncada, 25 home runs. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew Vaughn, 20. Sure. I mean, up and down the list you go, um, topping out with a guy like Aloy Jimenez, who a lot of people tell you has, has got the kind of swing, um, the kind of pop, and the kind of raw power that can drive a 40 home run season if he stays healthy for 155 games. And to that end, staying healthy is a hugely important thing for the White Sox. Has been the last couple of years, and they've been unable to do it. So a new position was created. Senior Director of Sports Performance, it's Jeff Head, who comes over to fill that role for the first time. He was the senior. He is the Senior Director of Health and Performance. He was with the Reds for the last three seasons. Before that, 12 with the San Francisco Giants. He joins Goldie Simmons and James Cruck on the um, training staff and uh, what would you call it? The, the, the uh, per player performance side of things as kind of the, the, the head of that division, it seems. That's a really bad pun because the guy's last name is head, but that's what he's going to be doing is kind of heading up that department. Rick Hahn talked a lot, general manager of the White Sox, talked a lot over the last couple of months about the need for the White Sox to re-examine how they keep players healthy. Um, and that, it seems, is going to be their uh, – uh, is a big hire and will be a big focus for them going forward. Um, the other couple of things I want to talk about here before we get to the end of the show are kind of some next steps for the White Sox. And as baseball starts to really get to moving – over hopefully the next couple of weeks, uh, we're seeing some big dominoes fall. Man, the, the Jacob DeGrom, and I just want to spend a couple of minutes on this. Man, you are you are seeing right now, like in real time, if you're on Twitter and if it still exists. Hold on, let me hit refresh. 
yeah, Twitter still exists. Um, you're seeing Mets fans get all kinds of salty about Jacob deGrom taking the big check. Five years, $185 million with the Texas Rangers. It has been reported uh, just a couple of years ago that, or a couple of years ago, a couple of mo- uh, hours ago, that the years on this deal are 30 mil in the first, 40 for the next two, 38 and 37. And the reason I, I bring that up is because I, I just kind of, you know, there. I spent a lot of time talking over the last couple of weeks and into the, as we kind of started the off season about, you know, kind of my, I, I like this newish world we're in where older veteran pitchers, guys like Scherzer specifically, and maybe Vorlander when he gets his deal, that kind of thing are, are signing for shorter deals with massive average annual values up toward the front, maybe like a two year deal for 50 years, something like that. I'm interested in that, especially if I were a team like the White Sox, who, you know, instead of trying to round out the rotation, you know, if, if the White Sox were in a bit of a different situation, right? Let's say you you had uh, the offense that was kind of mostly set and you were looking to make an impact on the pitching side of things, as opposed to having, you know, Cease and Lynn and Kopech all kind of as your top three ready to go. Kind of making that splash deal, the high average annual value with a low long-term commitment seems to make sense to me and and kind of makes sense to me from the from the pitcher's standpoint as well what the rangers have done the last couple of years though signing marcus Semyon, signing Corey seager all last offseason and now outlaying this kind of money for a top end maybe best in baseball starter is incredible the issue though with Degrom and and it's wild it, it he just doesn't stay all that healthy. It's just difficult to keep him on the field. The Rangers said, quite frankly, the hell with it. We want our guy. We're willing to pay him, and we're willing to get him out there on the field as often as we can. So the Degrom goes from the National League to the American League. Everybody plays everybody at least once this next season. We're gonna see. Well, everybody see everybody um, this next year, kind of with a new balanced schedule, which is super cool. Uh, but moving from the NL to the AL means the White Sox will likely see DeGrom a couple more times than they ever had before. Um, when we come back, we'll talk a bit about the big-time outfielder that requested a trade just a couple hours ago. Could he fit in the White Sox targeting reticle for offseason moves? A couple other deals got done, and the White Sox uh, are yet to get into adding bats, but I think that's coming soon. So, We'll talk about what that could be and who might be on their way when we come back here on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. You can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox at White Sox on social media everywhere today. I'm Connor McKnight closing it up here on White Sox Weekly last couple of minutes. So we look into the future as best as we can. Listen, I don't think anybody... Very few people had DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom, going to the Texas Rangers for five years, 185. And I say that to kind of just absolve myself of any kind of free future speculation, crystal ball gazing, that kind of stuff. Throw some stuff out here. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And that's what it is. 
I, I found it interesting that this afternoon, I mean, like truly a couple hours ago, Pittsburgh outfielder Brian Reynolds, according to Jason McKay of PGSportsNow.com, Brian Reynolds has requested a trade from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Reynolds will be 28 in January. He has been a damn good player for the Pirates over the last couple of years. An all-star in 2021. He hit 27 home runs in 2022 and had an 807 OPS down from a 912 in his all-star 2021, uh, but still a really good year. Hit 262, 345 on-base percentage, I should say, and a 461 slugging. Um, He also played in 145 games, down from 159 in 2021. He's a guy who can post. He played left, he played right, played probably a little bit of center. The White Sox have probably have that locked down. I think, though, that the – I mean, listen – this is a guy, I mean, you're trading with the Pirates, first and foremost. Ben Charrington's a smart GM, that's for sure. But this guy just apparently requested a trade. It doesn't work, I think, the same way it does like in the NFL or in the NBA, where if a guy raises his hand and requests a trade, that might drive down the uh, the trade return. You know, listen, you're up against the wall. You, the guy doesn't want to be here anyway. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the Pirates have control of Brian Reynolds' contract situation all the way up through 2025. He's ARB eligible next year. He's only got three years of service time. So, you know, can that drive down a guy's trade value? Yeah, I suppose it could. Even still, this is a player who, at least at a glance, on the profile, looks exactly like the kind of guy the White Sox could really benefit from acquiring. He's an outfielder, A, he hits from both sides of the plate, left and right, can cover the fastball, can play defense, um, hits for power, all that kind of stuff. That's that guy. This would be, though, expensive in terms of prospects. The White Sox have, it sounds like, already got Oscar Colas, if not in the lineup opening day, then certainly producing in the first flight of call-ups in 2023. You read the tea leaves, you read the quotes from Rick that really does sound like one of the top plans for the White Sox in either corner spot. Brian, it would, I, I think, this is kind of me spitballing here, but I think it would be difficult for the White Sox to pride Brian Reynolds from the Pirates without having to give up their top prospect, Colson Montgomery, if Oscar Colas isn't going anywhere and you've got to have him, I mean, it, then you're probably talking about some major leaguers as well. Now, one thing that might be somewhat interesting and, and maybe, I, again, I'm just kind of, you know, what if? There, there could be a potential of, of finding a team that values Garrett Crochet as a next potential starter for them. And I wonder, you know, given the fact that, you know, when, when Ethan Katz spoke after Dylan Cease finished second in Cy Young voting in 2022, you know, when, when Katz spoke, he did say that, that Crochet is almost assuredly going to be a reliever in 2023, which, you know, kind of really pushes the, the development as, as future potential starter after the Tommy John surgery well down the line and and is is a fair thing to ask though certainly not something he couldn't overcome it would be fair to ask 
can you at this point in your big career become a starter with the injuries that you've sustained with the long uh, the delayed development you know asking that i think is a fair question it is something that, that he may be able to answer yet and say yeah i can absolutely become a starter develop a third pitch and and be that kind of guy he's still fairly young still maybe that's a place where you could get um a little bit of return uh, a guy that's more than than sweetener in a trade and, and somebody that might stand out as high future potential found it interesting too, as, as we're kind of talking about potential trade targets with Brian Reynolds, uh, apparently asking for a trade reportedly asking for a trade from the Pittsburgh pirates. I read this uh, in the athletic from Ken Rosenthal. And I just, it's, it's more like, mm, oh, that's, that's head scratching. I wouldn't have imagined this at all. But since we were talking about the White Sox coaching staff having been finalized this last week, I thought these couple of graphs from Rosenthal were really interesting. He's just kind of bullet pointing some some things he heard, right? It's kind of his uh, you know kind of weekly update on what he's hearing all over the place, and no better guy to, to listen to than Rosenthal on this. And he writes, Salvador Perez is close. That's right, Royals catcher Salvador Perez is close with new White Sox manager Pedro Grifol, his former catching instructor and bench coach with the Royals. So close, it stands to reason the White Sox might at least think about asking for Perez in a trade. Now, before you don't, don't lose your breath yet, there's more. Perez dealt with left-hand issues and regressed offensively last season from his 48-homer year in 2021. He'll earn $20 million next season, occupying about one-fourth of the Royals' payroll. He's guaranteed 20 mil in 24, 22 and 25, and a buyout of $2 million in 2026, and a club option of 13 and a half in that season as well. The Royals, however, are not inclined to move Perez, and certainly not to a team in their division. Perez is the last player remaining from the 2015 World Series championship. Uh, I'll skip a bit here to say that while teams while he says teams are not even bothering to ask the Royals about him, catcher MJ Melendez is drawing a lot of interest. I just thought. You know, I get that Rosenthal kind of sets this up as, boy, those they're so close. I wonder if the White Sox wouldn't ask about a trade here. I, that doesn't get – it doesn't feel like something Rosenthal would just kind of throw around. I, I wonder if there's been any kind of uh, aggressive conversation there. If nothing else, the White Sox over the last few years have proven that they're willing to start talking trade – with anybody for just about anybody. So that, I, you know, I don't know. I, it, it seems like a little bit more than an interesting bullet point to get yourself uh, talked about on White Sox Weekly. Yeah, because that's what Ken Rosenthal's doing, trying to get pub here. I, I thought it was, was kind of interesting. One of the guys that, that has made kind of the Twitter rumors pop just a little bit over the last few weeks, or over the last few days, I should say, has been Joey Gallo. There's a lot been going around about Gallo and a lot of teams, to be honest, if you Twitter is still active. And if you do search Joey Gallo, there's like a whole bunch of different fan bases all over the place saying, Oh, I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if Gallo has been connected to the white Sox. And I find it interesting that, you know, a big time power guy, when he's right in Gallo with a low batting average, but a very good defense, that could be a kind of fit for the white Sox, but I wouldn't expect it to be plan a, I don't even know. It, it may be tough for Gallo to get a, a major league deal to start this season. He may have to go for something a little bit different, given the struggles he had uh, in New York and in L.A. Uh, the last the, the, in 2022. So just kind of something to 
kind of examine and, and think and scratch your head about there. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, This is going to be my last show of December. I'm going to take a little time here. My wife and I are expecting our first kid, so I'm going to need a little time to figure out what we're doing. You're going to be in capable hands, I promise, and we will talk to you in 2023. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks to Kendra Smith, our producer. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000.